fans and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we're of course going to recap the Badgers' kind of heartbreaking loss to Michigan uh, this past weekend. Wisconsin came out, did some good things, and uh, just wasn't enough. You know, didn't weren't able to stretch it out for a full 40 minutes, and in the end, Michigan just seemed to came, come to life and uh, and really. Uh, get the Badgers in a bad spot. It was a tough game to lose given everything that went well for them, but uh, we'll break down all of that to uh, talk about how this team uh, got a, a rough schedule the rest of the way, so we'll talk about all that. And then we've got a ton of football news to talk about in the back half. Recruiting, coaching hires, coaching changes, you know, duties being assigned. we got a little bit of everything to uh, whet your appetites on the football stuff, so plenty to get to on today's show. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, the football talk, I think, will be really enjoyable and a lot of fun. Basketball talk, it was it was tough. It was a, one of those, you know, I know the Wisconsin social media put out that for Valentine's Day, just like a, the broken heart emoji, um, and just because it was a big letdown considering what they had at the first half. But um, I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing good as well. It was a good weekend outside of the, the basketball stuff. And unfortunately, you know, I, I had to say for – 20 minutes of that game, Wisconsin looked like the team that uh, you kind of expected them to be this year, and then the final 20 minutes, and we'll get into it more so here, but the final 20 minutes, it was really uh, what we've seen from Wisconsin over the past couple of weeks. So it's a rough patch for them right now. It's going to you know, continue to be tough over these next few games. you got a lot of tough games still left on your schedule, but that's life in the Big Ten. You can't really sulk on a loss too much, but this one certainly stings given – the way they had, uh, you know, Michigan kind of pinned down after that first half and just came out the second half and couldn't do enough. So kind of like we said already, played well for portions of the game, just not enough. Michigan seemed to really come to life and claw their way back that second half. So what did you make of the the contest overall? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely – you saw everything going right for the Badgers in the first half in a lot of ways. Michigan was still trying to get their legs under them after not playing in 23 days, which I'm sure contributed to part of the how this game transpired. But I, you looked at how Wisconsin was playing and everything that they were doing in the first half, and they completely shifted away from that in the second half. And they went ice cold. They shot very poorly in the second half, especially when you compare it to how they did in the first half. They shot only 25% from the floor in general, 7 of 28 in the second half, and were really bad from three, 8% from three, which you, you just can't shoot that poorly in the Big Ten and expect to win. And in the end, it came down to some, some really troubling rebound situations late in the game where they still had opportunities. Uh, Michigan was the aggressor late in the game. As Wisconsin came into the first half, they were doing a really good job of winning loose balls. Some of the breaks were going their way because they were playing really hard, and you could tell that they really wanted it. The second half, Michigan wanted it way more, and you saw that they kind of came awake, and, and that was that was a story. I mean, they couldn't stop Isaiah Livers if they wanted to out there for, for much of the game, 
and and you can't you can't have multiple players just being able to dominate their will on you in a way that makes it so that your best players can't perform. And Wisconsin just didn't uh, perform in the second half at a level that was required to win. Yeah, it was it was really. I mean, you you look at it. It was a tale of two halves in a lot of different ways. There was just everything was going right for Wisconsin, which. For me, it almost kind of made me nervous that first half. Like, I kind of saw the writing on the wall for that second half. I didn't expect it to be that bad, but when you're shooting that well and, you know, the other, the opponent is just not making everything, basketball is a game where most of the time a regression to the mean is, is going to happen. Wisconsin, you saw it. I mean, Michigan really started to climb up, um, you know, the shooting percentage-wise throughout the second half, and Wisconsin came down and it just sort of evened out, and, you know, that that's fine. You get up to a big lead, you can afford some of that, but you still have to put in some buckets. I mean, they just went completely ice cold in that second half. So there's, you know, in past episodes we talk about, you know, you can pinpoint one certain thing. I don't know if there's really anything other than, you know, just not making shots and, and the Michigan offense just kind of coming to life. I mean, you could tell they were rusty. Wisconsin played pretty good defense that first half, but also Michigan was just clanking, clanking. I mean, I saw a lot of tweets uh, on the, on that afternoon of the rims with CBS just really being loud, and that's kind of that first <laughs> half. But, but the shots started to really fall in that second half, and unfortunately for Wisconsin, they had them right where they wanted, but uh, just couldn't make enough, couldn't do enough, and and that's what makes it sting. I mean, that first game against Michigan, they came out, got the doors blown off. You know, They were just the better team, but Wisconsin really had an opportunity to pick up a huge win in this one and, and just didn't, and that's going to that's gonna sit with those guys. It's going to sting um, for, for quite a long time here. Yeah, and, and I think neither of us are naive enough to say that Wisconsin was the favorite or expected Wisconsin to win that game uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But you look at kind of how the game started and how well Wisconsin was playing, that's the team that, that folks saw last year for, for large chunks of it. And I know part of that was the simple fact that Michigan just didn't shoot quite as well as they normally do. I mean, they're one of the best shooting teams in the entire nation, and there's a reason that they're picked to be a number one seed in the in the uh, not only the Big Ten tournament but also the NCAA tournament. But um, you you had to the Badgers had to use that that advantage at halftime and continue to to play really strong. But you saw way too many scoring droughts. I mean, Jonathan Davis. That kid's going to be a stud, but he can't be your entire offense in a half and expect to win. It just that's not how you do how basketball works. They they went away from him after he did start making some nice shots, and they started just jacking up threes. And you just you can't win that way. And they keep running into the same habits frequently here, and I think that is going to continue to hurt them. Is they they come into the game and they have a good plan. And they are playing well, but then they just think, okay, we got to change what we're doing for some reason and go back to complacency. And it just doesn't work in the Big Ten. You've got to play a full 40, and they haven't been able to do that. Greg Gard talked about it in, in his presser that they're just not playing a full 40 minutes right now. And until they do, this is this is how it's going to be. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the – the, 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 there's too many good teams in this conference to to not really have your A game, and Wisconsin had flashes of their A game. Like you said, this is you know that first half we looked at it and you kind of saw what the preseason expectations were for Wisconsin. You saw what this team could be, and you know they they still have the potential to be that. But until they put that together for like you said a full 40 minutes, it's going to be probably the same results. And unfortunately, you don't you know that Nebraska game was was ugly, but 
you could afford to make some mistakes. Most games in this conference you're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to afford to, to shoot poorly, to rebound poorly. Um, you know, this conference, I've seen a lot of people rave, ranting and raving about how good the Big Ten is this year compared to, you know, historically other teams and other conferences from the past. You know, it's a really strong and deep conference. So if you're not making shots, if you're not, you know, cleaning up on the glass, defensively they were okay. But really, I think part of that was, was Michigan just kind of coming out cold. So it's, it's not really anything I think you can pinpoint and say this is the exact reason why they lost other than, you know, just not putting it together for a full 40 minutes. And it's frustrating because you saw it for 20. They just needed to come out from that second half and, you know, even half of that and, and just put a little bit more out and put a, you know get a little bit more from them offensively and, and grab a couple boards. And that game could have swung uh, a whole bunch of different ways. So it's unfortunate and it's definitely a loss that's going to sting, but uh, they've got to Bounce back quick because, uh, like you said, in the Big Ten you have to have a short memory, and now you've got a team coming in with Luca Garza that probably the best big in the country. So you're going to have to learn how to play some defense and rebound and make some shots against a team like Iowa. Oh, for sure. I mean, Iowa's got firepower just like Michigan, and that's in any given moment they can drop a hundred on you in in a hurry. And we we saw that you know Iowa struggled in some of the somewhat recently like the Badgers, but at the same time. Iowa still has that go-to guy that can take over a game. And as of right now, I think Wisconsin needs to lean into who they have, and that's Demetric Trice and I want to say Jonathan Davis. You look at Jonathan Davis has either led the team or been in the top uh, two to three scorers in, in most of the last few games. He is, he is the guy that can create his own shot. Trice has shown that he can do it at times as well. I thought Ford played really well in that against mm-hmm. uh, Michigan, especially in the first half, kind of trailed away later in the game. But they they got to lean into those two and, and try to run their offense through those guys. And um, you, you're seeing just this team not have enough firepower on offense for sustained runs. And instead it leads to these two-minute scoring droughts. I mean, they, were, they went 0 of 7 to end the game, 1 of 10 to, to finish. I mean, when it comes down to crunch time, that can't be the case. And you add that to the fact that I know we're going to talk about the, the rebounding struggles, and you can't give the other team uh, extra opportunities and miss all your shots. That's just, that's just a terrible recipe for success. Yeah, unfortunately that doesn't work. You know, in this conference, it's just uh, there's too many good teams. Michigan, you know, and you got to give them credit. They bounced back. That first half, you could tell they had some rust on them, but they came out and, and played really well in that second half, you know, getting back into that game. They're, they're a very good basketball team, and I was surprised to even see them, you know, that second half. I was surprised to see them kind of wake up because of that such a long layoff. You saw the rust on there, so credit to them. That's a big win in terms of grinding out a game in the Big Ten after being off for so long, having only a couple practices before things. So, um, you know, while Wisconsin struggled to put the game away and, and really just couldn't do enough to win it, Michigan did um, come out and play really well. But uh, you, you mentioned it, and we'll just hop right to there because we kind of talked about the, the power balance between the, the first half and the second half. Wisconsin, you know, really – players that struggled were the bigs. I mean, you you had a more talented guy in Hunter Dickinson. There's no doubt that he's probably one of the best, you know, three bigs in the Big Ten. I mean, you could probably put 1A, 1B, 1C um, with, with Coburn, Dickinson, and uh, Luca Garza. But all three are strong, and Wisconsin's kind of, <laughs> well, at least in the first two contests with, against uh, Dickinson and, uh, and Kofi Coburn against Illinois a couple weeks ago, really struggled. So, 
he only scored 11 points, but he would just seem to grab every important rebound that Wisconsin needed to get. And on the other side, Potter and Reavers did not grab a board. I mean, how do you how do you have <laughs> two seven footers and not get a board? I mean, I I tweeted I said if you're not going to use that that height, you know, donate it to someone that could because it was just a struggle. So. What do you make of Wisconsin just kind of once again being dominated on the glass, which is not something that we haven't, you know, we've seen that time and time again throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, the Wisconsin bigs, they're just playing soft. Like, there's no, there's no way around it. Um, we, we've seen that both of, both Reavers and Potter, I mean, they're not known as, like, great rebounders, like, by any stretch of the imagination. Like, there's a reason that Nate Reavers, for his career, uh, averages 3.5 rebounds. Like, let's let's cut to the chase. He's never been a great rebounder. But at the same time, to also then have, like, a Potter who, who came into this year averaging much better. Like, he, he came into his time in Wisconsin. Last year, he averaged six. This year, he's right around that same mark, and he didn't get a board. And so you can't have that. You can't not only – um, struggle on the defensive end, give up, and, and not be able to protect the rim. Something that Reavers came to this season known for his shot blocking prowess. Mm-hmm. Like he leads the, the entire program in, in, in terms of history in blocking shots. And his numbers have gone way down this year. They're cut in half nearly for blocks per game. And neither of them are able to do much of anything to stop what the other teams are doing inside. Hunter Dickinson, 15 rebounds. But you look at when they happened, like you mentioned, at the end, when it was mm-hmm. just like he just he just, just opposed his will. He wanted the ball more, and he took advantage of it, got to the free throw line, and, and made his shots. And Wisconsin, to have two nearly seven-footers be non-existent on the boards, not be able to stop anybody from getting to the rim, you can't have it. It's it's silly. It's just it's silly, and you just I don't even know what to make of it because it doesn't make sense. It's unfathomable, unfathomable to have two guys who play so many minutes. They combine for for over forty minutes of action and didn't grab a damn rebound. Like that is almost impossible. Trevor Anderson played eighteen minutes and grabbed three, and he is a freaking backup point guard. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Like that is absurd. In 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 the game of basketball, to be to to your one of your number one tasks is to block out and grab a board. But they bodied guys sometimes on blocking out, but they had no freaking clue where the ball was going. And let I know basketball is about angles with rebounding, and they were lost underneath there. And Hunter Dickinson ate them alive in the end. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. Tyler Wall had six rebounds. Brad Davison grabbed six boards. I mean, those guys should have lucked into at least a couple, you know, and it's just unfortunate that that was the end result because, you know, we've said it a couple times already, the timeliness of, of Hunter Dickinson in Michigan getting some of those rebounds was so crucial um, at the end of the game, and that's going to the way it's going to be the rest of this year. You know, you've got uh, a team with, with – you know, probably the Naismith player of the year coming into your home and you just saw, you know, Iowa saw that and said, well, man, we could we could really feast off of, of Luca Garza and what he can do. And the part, trouble with Iowa as we kind of get into that is they also got shooters that if he grabs a rebound and can kick it out, that game can get over with in a hurry. So I think Wisconsin's really got to clean that part up. And then once again, you know, you, you've kind of said it a few times, Brad Davison, three points, um, you know, out of your shooting guard position. Again, you know, him, like you've said time and time again, under 10 points. Wisconsin's usually losing over 10 points. He's he's winning. And thankfully you got 
11 points from Jonathan Davis, who's going to be, you know, you're probably your future two guard that way, but you got to get more from, from a senior leader and, and all those guys. And all those guys have played a lot of basketball. You know, the only guy that doesn't have an excuse is, is Ford and Trice. You know, those guys played pretty well and, and played a lot of minutes and, and really helped keep Wisconsin in this game. But the rest of them, you know, they, they've played enough basketball where, you know, the results like this should not happen. And unfortunately, they just keep happening again. This isn't a one-time thing. We've talked about Wisconsin struggling to shoot and, and rebound, you know, on and off throughout this you know season, pretty much after every loss, that's usually something that comes up. So at the end of the day, it's it's a frustrating loss, and it's frustrating because you know it just seems like the same things keep repeating and repeating and and leading to losses. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at it, you can take a loss to Michigan. Like I don't think mm-hmm. the the issue is that they lost to Michigan. I think. 90% of the time they were going to lose this game to Michigan because Michigan is one of the best teams in the damn country, and that's okay. But when you look at the way they lost and how much fluctuation there was with how they played in the first half and second half, the adjustments, the the lack of of being able to do anything down low from your bigs, it's, it's just frustrating in so many ways. And I'm glad you brought up Brad Davison because – I'm sorry, he has regressed as a mm-hmm. player. And it's just like slowly happened over the course of his career. He went from 12 points as a freshman uh, with a bum shoulder to 10 points to just under 10 points, and now he's averaging eight. And he's shooting 23% from two-pointers. 23%, that is really bad, like mm-hmm. really bad. <laughs> um, he's not even averaging one make from from inside the arc per game. He's really struggled as of late, especially. And at the same time, you're you're seeing his minutes are still up there. He's still playing um, near the top in terms of minutes. And Jonathan Davis is, like we talked about, putting together game after game after game where he's in double figures. He's showing to proving to be the only guy who can create his own shot. He's the guy that should be taking a lot of last-second shots when they're passing it around, trying to figure out who should take it at the end of the shot clock. And eventually, you can't keep looking at the Wisconsin bench and saying, wow, it's nice that they outscored Michigan in bench points again, like they did against Nebraska, like they did against so many teams now, because both Anderson and Davis are playing well, and not look at Brad Davison and say, hey, Reavers went to the bench for a while. Maybe mm-hmm. he has to, and he can spark it. And I know he's a glue guy. He is. He's. He's going to play his heart out out there. And he's done a had some huge shots for Wisconsin. I think of that Maryland game last year. He's done so many good things for this team. But at the same time, right now he is hurting them in so many ways on the mm-hmm. offensive end because he's not making his shots. He's turning the ball over, and he's not helping them win the game when you've got a kid who's. Maybe by far, I'll go just go say it. He's the by far the best player on this team. He's the only one that's got any shot of in the NF, NBA um, down the line, and probably the best player they've had since Ethan Half. Um, that's worn a Wisconsin jersey. So he's he's got to be put on the court more often. And I know he's like in the top five in minutes of the season, but at the same time, he's got to be out there more often. And they've got to tell him to be aggressive because at this point. If you've got Brad Davison going one of six, you've got Nate Reavers going one of seven, you aren't winning the game because that's two of your starters who are giving you six combined points and six rebounds between the two of them. And that's just not enough when you also have Tyler Wall, who is 
who's a you know a, the guy who's supposed to be able to do all the little things and not necessarily your your scorer. You can't have three guys in a starting lineup that can't score you a basket. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you kind of said that because that's I think what a lot of people were thinking after that game is you know how. If this was early in the season and Brad Davison was struggling and you were just trying to get him back in rhythm, fine. But you're down to you know, five, six games left um, before before tournament time. I mean, this is the time where you've got to have guys going. And like you said, he's a glue guy. He's given Wisconsin a lot of minutes. But there, there's times where he's out there and it's just kind of lackadaisical. And, and you know, like you said, he's turning the ball over. He's missing shots. He's He's not super aggressive. And it's like, okay – Jonathan Davis could be a guy that, that really sparks your offense. And maybe Brad Davison, if he goes to the bench and you made that switch, he could. I could see him being a guy coming off the bench that could come in and, and maybe that sparks him a little bit. And he's just a, a guy that's kind of your spark plug player. You know, there's a lot of guys that thrive in that role. We've seen it. You know, Tyler Wall went into the starting rotation and that worked a little bit and got him, uh, you know, got Nate Reavers going a little bit. It hasn't necessarily stuck, but. Maybe that's a situation that, that Greg Gardner needs to look into. The rotation was kind of um, you know, head-scratching at times throughout that game. I know that was some frustration from some other fans. So I think, I think at some point you know, it, you're getting to where the clock is really ticking here. You're going to need to pick up some wins. And if you are, are getting that type of production at, from, from two of your starters in, in Reavers and Davison, you're going to struggle to pick up a win because you've, you've got Iowa twice, you've got Illinois You've got to go to Purdue. I mean, that's not a, a super – I look at the rest of the schedule and the way they're playing right now, it's it, it looks bleak where you're probably going to knock off Northwestern, but I don't think you can feel super comfortable about any other of those games, you know, the way this team is playing, which is which is scary. They, you know, they didn't pick up a couple more. Yeah, and I mean, this was a game that I, I feel like they might have been able to figure out a way to win if there was cr- a crowd there because they mm. played so well in the first half that you could you could maybe do that. But at the same time – I, it's you shouldn't have to rely on a true freshman to be your the guy who you turn to to score because right now you look at it he scored in double figures and in three of the past four games and the lone game that he didn't score in double figures he still had seven and four and Brad Davison during that same stretch has one game in double figures and it, that also includes uh, a game where in which he went 0 of 6 against Illinois and 1 and 6 against Michigan. That's not good enough for a starting shooting guard in the Big Ten. Shooting guard is supposed to be a position where you're out there and you're scoring. Um, you know, you can get away with times where where you're a hustle player and, and doing some of the small things, but you still need to get close to that 10 10 point mark to help you out and play really good defense. And right now he's not doing either of those. And Wisconsin is in the midst of a really tough stretch that I think is going to be uh, tough to watch for a lot of fans if they don't figure out um, how they can shift some of these things quickly. Yeah, and, and you know, like you said earlier, this is a game that if they they would have played okay and, and played well and, and just lost the game, that's that's fine. You were expected to probably lose to Michigan. I know they're coming off a layoff, but um, you know, unfortunately the, they got the hopes up and then it just kind of fell back to where they've been all year. So it's definitely a a tough loss, and Wisconsin will have to turn it around as they move forward here into this uh, contest with Iowa. Another tough test, you know, another tough big. So Wisconsin's going to really have to wake it up and, and wake it up fast. So 
I think that wraps up our basketball talk. We had a little, we always put together a little outline. I think we veered completely off the outline and just had a nice venting session, but I think that was needed for both of us to get that off our chest. So. I think we hit everything that came up from that game outside yeah. <laughs> of maybe the second chance points that, you know, Michigan got 15 of them. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I think we're, we covered our bases. Yeah, I, hopefully everyone kind of felt that venting session because I think a lot of people needed it after that game. Um, and, and hopefully they can get it turned around. Otherwise, so, you know, we'll keep we'll keep having them uh, on the show uh, throughout these next couple of weeks as we get into the the crunch time of the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament. So, all right, guys, stick with us through a couple quick ad reads. We'll get a lot of football news to get to after that. All right, yeah, this past week, a busy week on the football front, um, recruiting, coaching, uh, staff decisions, the the whole nine yards was was in play. Um, for Wisconsin this past week to start. Um, 2021 class gets a preferred walk-on in Grover Fortelodi is how I pronounce it. Very Italian name, like all-time all team, your all-time name uh, team on that with him. So what did you make of him? Safety, running back, a guy that when I looked at it could be a guy that plays a lot of different positions. But if he comes into Wisconsin, they do well with these walk-ons. So I think it's a good ad for an in-state kid. Um, and, and you don't have to necessarily give up a scholarship, but you can get a, a really talented kid in that preferred walk-on spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at it, at the very least, it's, a, it's another strong uh, practice body that you could have position versatility with, whether he's, being, he's at running back, whether he's playing a little cornerback safety. Um, he, he's, he's a little smaller at 5'10", 185, but at the same time, you look at what he did in high school, 42 tackles, three picks, um, a forced fumble, he, he can do some nice things. That was in seven games. So it, it tells you that, hey, he's a really good athlete at the prep level. You take a chance on him. Wisconsin has done so well with, with uh, guys, especially at safety. That's a position mm-hmm. that Wisconsin has routinely been really good at in developing walk-ons. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you, you, obviously, Jim Leonard is there, but then you've got a lot of other guys back to when I was a kid that pop up and, and even um, more recently you, you've got uh, some of the some other guys who have popped up like a Leo Musso who I know was a scholarship guy but came in kind of uh, under heralded but was a running back in safety so Wisconsin I should be I like the name love the the him coming in but I, I think now it's just kind of a wait and see because it's it's a crapshoot with in-state walk-on sometimes and but at the very least it's a really cool opportunity for him to to carry out you know, a lifelong dream probably. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you saw that if you are following uh, Bucky's fifth quarter uh, on Twitter when that was announced, you saw, you know, him tweet out a picture of, of him in a Badger jersey. So you get kids like that that have wanted to be a Badger their whole life, and when they get on the campus, they can really start to do some things. And, and you never know. You'll wait and see and, and see where he translates out position-wise. Uh, but it's never a bad thing to have in-state athletes that, that want to be there. It's always a, a nice one, and Wisconsin does well with it. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, 2022 recruiting trail. Wisconsin this past week was really active. There's been a couple other offers that have gone out um, yesterday and today since then. So busy on the the 2022 front. Any uh, offer or, or player really catch your eye um, in this uh, recent spurt of, of throwing out offers? What seemed like left and right. I think I think what really stands out is is kind of where the offers are going at. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, not as much like. Hey, this is coming from you know a guy from Montgomery, Alabama, like most recently with Curtis Perry. But rather the positions that these guys are being um, 
recruited for. Wisconsin threw out a hell of a lot of defensive tackle offers, cornerback offers. Um, you're also looking at uh, wide receiver offers. Those, those are kind of the main three areas that you're seeing them throwing out a lot of offers, and it tells you that, hey, they're really aggressive at those spots that they really want a guy or two there, maybe aren't feeling super great about their board at the moment. But then it also tells you kind of in looking at some of their other spots, like maybe outside linebacker, um, defensive end, like they have only three defensive end offers out right now. One of them is to Isaac Ham, who I would assume that they feel really good there. Offensive line, they've been really picky, only offering the in-state kids. So I think right now you're looking at it, you're not seeing a bunch of new um, offers come out at a lot of positions that you might expect. Um, I thought that Jeremiah Franklin offer uh, out of Maryland, who's currently committed to BC, is an interesting one mm-hmm. because I think he um, would fit really nicely. Maybe they're trying to bring in another tight end um, or two tight ends because I know they really want Micah Riley as well. So I think I think looking at where these offers are being put out because who knows how it'll transpire from here. It's it's all about building the relationship from now moving forward, but I think the biggest thing is, hey, look at it, wide receiver, defensive tackle, cornerback, they clearly want to bring in some guys there, and, and they're going to be aggressive at those positions. Yeah, and those are positions that, that can really make or break, um, you know, a defense. And, and on wide receiver, you know, Wisconsin historically has, you know, they've, they've been better of, of recent years. You know, you look at like a guy like Danny Davis was a highly recruited guy. You, you've gotten better at there, but historically Wisconsin hasn't always had you know a really strong recruiting front at the wide receiver position. Same thing kind of with defensive tackle, cornerback. They they usually are are finding those pipelines. You know the South Florida uh, group of guys that have came into Wisconsin. So I think I think that's a good uh, point that you made with where they're going because you know you can pay attention to the, the recruiting rankings and, and those are important and they've gotten better. Um, you know, with more ability to scout some of these players and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, there's still high school kids. We'll see how they're developed with the relationships and, and things like that. But there, there's definitely an attention being paid to defensive tackle, cornerback, positions that are really important for Wisconsin that they have had. They've got some guys there right now for, you know, the upcoming season. You feel really good about your cornerback room with your starters. You've got Keanu Bennett, defensive tackle there. So you feel good about the guys that are there right now, but I think looking forward to who's next in that group, there is a little bit of question mark. So it makes sense that they're being aggressive in those spots and going after some talent um, in some key positions. You know, you got to have strong corners, you got to have a strong, um, you know, defensive tackle, especially in Jim Leonard's before. You got to have somebody that can really uh, take on some blocks up front against some good Big Ten linemen. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, those couple positions shake out. No doubt. All right, moving on down the list here. Speaking of uh, cornerbacks, there was some changes to Wisconsin staff there, kind of the finalizing of that. Wisconsin added Hank. Now, I've always said Potiat. Is that right? I, I think it's Potiat. Potiat? Okay. I was saying Potiat before, but um, either name. way. You guys have listened to this podcast enough, you know that I suck with names. So, um, NFL guy, uh, played a long career. I believe it was 10 years in the NFL with a, a mixed bag of teams. Played around the same era that Jim Leonard played in the NFL. Uh, I was when I was looking through and writing up um, our article on him. I thought maybe those two had played together. Um, both ended up in Cleveland and uh, with the New York Jets, but never at the same time. So uh, I think anytime you're bringing in a guy with with defensive experience in the NFL and at the college level that you know Paul Chris is also familiar with, uh, I think it's a good fit. So hopefully that'll kind of take some load 
off of, of Jim Leonard's shoulders as the defensive coordinator. So what did you make of the, the move, and what sort of impact do you think that will have on the defensive side of the football for Wisconsin? I really like the move. I, I think mm-hmm. you're bringing in a 10-year vet from the NFL, won a Super Bowl. Um, he has familiarity with Chris as a grad assistant, um, has, has already kind of worked his way up at lower levels, and has done some nice things with um, cornerbacks at both Kent State and Toledo. And I think that's 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 awesome. That's what you need. Is it adds a little bit of uh, a little bit of a youth movement as well. He's he's known for recruiting. Uh, South Jersey, which, hey, Wisconsin does that. Um, he's recruited Pennsylvania, recruited Detroit and Michigan. Wisconsin, I know, has done some, made some nice inroads to the state of Michigan lately, so I would think that that's nice um, as well. And I think really the biggest thing for him coming in is is also it lessens the load on Jim Leonard and, mm-hmm. and allows him to focus on running the defense. I think we're going to talk about it here next uh, when we talk about kind of how this impacts everything a little bit more. But I think really looking at what him and Jim Leonard can do, getting on the same page, and it allows them to be more, um, you know, focused on their position. And I think with given how much Wisconsin works with those cornerbacks on an island, having a dedicated cornerbacks coach can only help you. And, and it will also help them on the recruiting trail defensively because then Jim Leonard doesn't have quite as many uh, things that he's got to take into account, and it likely um, gives a, a better chance of Jim Leonard sticking around and, and not feeling like he's going to get burnt out because um, after he came back, they're, they're in a good place, and it evens out um, the, the coaching staff numbers. So I think overall I, I love the hire. I like the way that they went with it and that it wasn't uh, necessarily a quarterback's coach. Um, I know we'll talk about that in a second, but I think – Really, just having a guy who's who's de- dedicated to that and it allows um, Jim Leonard to to kind of do his thing should only help. Yeah, and I, I think that transitions us nicely because you talked about the quarterback room. I think overall with these coaching staff changes, because really that's the rest of our conversations here. It allows everyone to to kind of play to their strengths. You know, now you've got a dedicated cornerbacks coach that can spend time exclusively at that position work with these guys, you know, as you're on the recruiting front, you know, they're very active, like we just mentioned, on the quarterback, sp- quarterback spot. So to have, you know, an NFL vet that you can go out and, and say, I'm going to go play for him, that that's really good on the recruiting side and technique side, you know, being able to dedicate themselves and practice that way. And then, like you said, it, it opens up Jim Leonard to be able to do more stuff, have a little bit more flexibility. Um, you know, as the defense coordinator, he can kind of have his eyes on everything without having to have as much dedication that way. So, I think it works out well where they they even things out and they allow people to play to their strengths. So with that position and, and the staff now being full, you mentioned it, there's no quarterback coach in terms of title. Likely Paul Christ is, is handling those duties. Um, you know, of course, John Budnemeyer going to Colorado State. So that position was open. They moved some things around. You mentioned to even it up numbers-wise. So overall, I think uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the quarterbacks are going to be left on an island. There's going to be someone working with them. Um, and, and likely Paul Chris that way. But what did you make, and do you think that's a solid move to just kind of let everyone, you know, even up and, and play to their strengths? Yeah, I love that there's seven now on each on each side mm-hmm. of the uh, – I having an, an equal amount on offense and defense, and then you have special teams as well um, with five and five, and then uh, having Herring be your special teams coach. 
But I think Poteet also will be able to help out with the return duties. He played was a return man in the NFL for a long time, so that should be should be helpful. But I think this is a good move for for Paul Christ. And I, I'm guessing in in reading between the leaves, you can kind of imagine that Paul Christ. The only reason he had a quarterbacks coach was before this was to keep Bud Meyer in the first place, um, because Bud Meyer was an, uh, an analyst that that just helped out specifically with the quarterbacks as a grad assistant and then as an analyst, similar to what Taylor Melhoff did, which is more of like you're a specialist to help out in a specific way. I would imagine that Wisconsin will do the same thing, bring in somebody who's going to specifically work with the quarterbacks um, as in that role, and, and then um, but then Chris will oversee it. We saw Chris work with the quarterbacks. Um, a lot um, when he was a coach. He was the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, um, and and he, he knows it. He played quarterback in, in college. Uh, he, he knows that position inside and out, and I think that should help. Having him have a nice hands-on uh, you know, delivery model with the quarterback should help a guy like Graham Mertz because we now know that he's going to be also calling – play calling duties, which I know you're going to be pumped about. But I think having him do that will will not only ground him back with the offense a little bit more, and, but it will also allow him to focus on the offense totally and allow Jim Leonard to kind of take on the, the defensive role in a, a little bit um, larger capacity as well. So I think overall this is a great shift. I, I don't think it's going to be too much for Paul Chris to handle because there's going to be an analyst to work on it. And really the only reason I think they had him was because they really liked Bud Meyer and wanted him to stick around. Yeah, I think it really plays out well to to where Coach Chris can focus on certain things. Jim Leonard can now you know have his focus on the defensive side of the ball. Again, you know I think it plays to everyone's strengths really well. Um, and, and you mentioned you know him, you know Coach Chris taking over the play calling duties once again. Like yeah, you you said I would be happy about it. You are certainly right. I think I think once again this allows them to you know Coach Chris I think is a phenomenal play caller. I think he understands the flow of a game really well. He's going to be hands on with the quarterback. So now all of a sudden you got you know that whole pocket of the offense working together. Joe Rudolph, while I think he's a phenomenal offensive line coach and a phenomenal recruiter, and I think Paul Chris kind of said as much. You know that he's great on the recruiting trail. He knows his positions right well, but. And maybe the offense needs to, you know, they take a step back and, and go back to uh, refocusing on certain things. So, again, I think it, it gets Paul Chris back into the role that he's really talented at. You know, he made his living um, as, the, as a Wisconsin offensive coordinator, you know, back in the day of, of really calling a strong game, flow of the game. And Joe Rudolph has made a living on coaching the offensive line and, uh, and, and you know, getting out on the recruiting trail. So, I'm glad that they were able to make this and, and it wasn't, you know, some sort of, of mess or battle back and forth where they were kind of grappling with, you know, who was going to play take it over. They made the decision. They're going to it. And I think that will only help as you get into this winter conditioning and spring ball that you know the philosophies. It's They're, they're relatively the same. You know, I don't think there's going to be any sort of schematic change that really, you know, surprises people. But it's just going to be more so Paul Chris taking it back over and getting that flow down, which I think Wisconsin really struggled with this past year. So, I, I by no means want to knock Joe Rudolph. I think he's a great part of this uh, of this coaching staff, but I think this is the right move to get Wisconsin back on track the way they wanted to to be this year. And I think a spring ball will allow everyone to just click in their new duties for 2021. Yeah, I think I think it was definitely the right move. I think from a PR point, it definitely helps because fans were not happy based off mm-hmm. of how things transpired last year. I 
I don't. I've never understood why. If you have a, a defensive coordinator that you trust, that you don't give him more responsibility, let him kind of take that over. Similar to how Brett Bielema did it um, when Brett Bielema was was very much uh, concerned about the the defense, and then Paul Christ was able to do what he wanted on offense. We saw that not go that way once Christ left. Um, but at the same time, I think that has a nice um, way to do it, just simply because most offensive coaches call their own plays. I don't know why they went away from that. Paul Christ is a really good play caller. I'm excited to get the tight end middle screen back because I <laughs> love that play. Damn near swore there. Um, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see him back with that. Also having a nice uh, role with the quarterbacks should help him really be grounded with it as well. Um, also, did you notice that the, the Badgers have are still updating the, like their coaches, and they added a, a new analyst, James Rogers from Oregon State. He was their director of player development. He was a former wide receiver with them. So um, I think Wisconsin is bringing in some new analysts as well to to round out their room. I know uh, last year Alva Hansbro was was already with the team, but he's he's back again as an analyst. So I think. It's, we're going to find out a little bit more here slowly about some of the new analysts and things that are going to be within the staff, um, which change yearly. So I, I think overall I like what they've done with the staff, and I think it should help them in a lot of ways next year. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing, though, is, is just that Chris is going to be taking over those play-calling duties, which I know you've been clamoring about all year long. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, I think it'd be exciting. It's going to breathe some some fresh air back into the program a little bit. I think um, sometimes the play calling was a little questionable and also just sometimes a little stale. You know, Paul Chris has always been pretty innovative of doing what they want to do, but also finding ways to, you know, work off of that. So for him to be able to take that over, work exclusively with Graham Mertz and, and the quarterback room as well, I think it's just going to button things up really nicely on the offensive side. It's it's definitely got expectations uh, climbing a little bit, which will will set us up for heartbreak. But at the same time, you know, I think it'll be a, a good step for the program. I think Joe Rudolph, you know, took it well and is is now going to transition back into you know the the offensive line and recruiting. So again, everyone, all the changes that the coaching staff has had, I think, really plays to each each of their strengths and should allow this team to hopefully take a big step forward in 2021. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to. Rudolph and Chris to having that good of a relationship mm-hmm. that they can have that conversation and say, hey, this this didn't work. I need you to really focus on the offensive line because they weren't as good as what we needed them to be this past year, and the offense wasn't as good as we needed it to be last year. And so let's really get back to basics, and I'll take care of this. And, Jim, you can go run the defense, and I trust you what you're going to do. Yeah, it doesn't always work like that in college football. You know, college, sometimes college football coaches and, and you know, you get that – that ego, and, and you don't want to bruise that, and you don't want to, you know, it's not a demotion, but it's, it's you know, you're losing the play calling. Some, you know, some programs wouldn't have a relationship, you know, with the offensive coordinator and the head coach where they could just do that. It would sometimes be, you know, more messy or have some sort of split, and he says, well, I can I can call plays. I'm going to go somewhere else. Thankfully, Wisconsin, you know, didn't have that, and now, once again, you know, Chris can, can play to his strength, Rudolph can play to his strength, and hopefully that will make the offense much better um, as they move into next season. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. We hope you uh, enjoyed the football talk. I think the football was much more enjoyable than our basketball venting session, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode overall. We'll be back with you later in the week, as always, on Wisconsin.
Thank you.